the fifth generation leadership podcast with Grant and Rod. All right. So I'd like to introduce, well, first of all, welcome to the fifth generation leadership podcast with Grant and Rodney. Um, hey, everybody. Today, today we have uh, Devin Udelman on um, who served in the army for a long time. I don't remember off the top of my head. It was something like 27 years and uh, retired at the rank of 06 as a what we call a bird colonel um, and was a uh, worked in logistics and uh, he's on with us today we're going to talk about everything from um, you know leadership leadership styles things that worked over the course of his career and things that didn't social changes in the army specifically you know which is a huge point of interest for Rodney and I you know being being army guys and then also just get into some uh, interesting stuff about logistics and munitions, especially with what's going on in Europe right now. Uh, so without further ado, uh, welcome, Devin. Hey, thanks, Grant. And uh, yes, and um, so just to correct the record just a little bit. So I, I was uh, airborne infantry there for a number of years, too, before I before I became an officer and oh, I didn't know so, that. Yeah, so it's a total of, total of about uh, thirty, almost thirty four years total. So, so prior, so, sorry for interrupting. So prior enlisted, then correct? That's correct. Yes. Okay. Awesome. Air, airborne infantry. You went to the dark side. What's up with that, sir? <laughs> okay. So, um, yeah, to to get started, you know. Let's let's talk let's talk about that. What you know, because what uh what how long were you on the enlisted side? And did you serve in any leadership positions on the enlisted side before you switched over? I did not. Uh so um I went in immediately after high school. Um and the reason I went in is because um, I'm, I, I'm an idealist and I, I have been since I can remember, I don't remember not being an idealist. Um, wasn't really that excited to, to go after profit or money or, or anything other than the army, the army to me, you know, back in the day they had, uh, they had a commercial out, which was a pretty good commercial, actually. And uh, the slogan was, it's the army, join the army. It's, it's, uh, it's not a job, but it's, it's an adventure. So uh, I was looking for an adventure um, when I was uh, a young man, 18, 19, after high school. And so those two things combined were a good recipe for me. I was an idealist. And I was looking for adventure, so um, I told the uh, I told the uh, uh, recruiter exactly. He didn't find me; I found him. I went. I went. I drove myself to the office. I told him what I wanted. I told him I didn't want to be. I didn't want to be in an office. I didn't want to be behind a desk. I wanted to be in the field doing things. And then he kind of led me down the airborne infantry road, and then I did that for four four full years. 
what, what years was that like what what was going on in the country at the time so 1985 to 1989 and uh our great fantastic president uh, ronald reagan was the was the president in 1985 and to tell um, you the truth go ahead sorry sorry just to just to recap this was also um, because I feel like I've heard this story many times before from like a lot of like, uh, you know, veterans or, um, you know, older commissioned, older enlisted people that have been in the, the game for a while. A lot of people did join the the military to travel the world. That was kind of like a a, a popular concept almost at, at that given time. Right. And in the 80s, there was also this, uh, you know, like the end of the the end of the the cold war i guess technically soviet war whatever and we're supposed to be entering and there was like this belief that there was going to be no more need for militaries is that correct or, or were you not uh really experiencing that i was experiencing the first part of what you said somewhat okay um the fact that we didn't need militaries any longer never crossed my mind and i actually never i'd never heard of that before okay but uh Wanting to travel, that's part of adventure, yeah. And, you know, I, I'm one of these people who I could I could entertain myself by, I mean, if you put a map on the wall, one of those wall maps, I could literally entertain myself for four or five hours straight and just sit there and look at the map and study it. And right. Look at the oceans, look at the capitals, think about history and how Caesar and Napoleon, where they went, where their routes were, I could just rivers and and mountains i could just look at a map for five hours and keep myself entertained so right yeah that kind of leads to a love for travel and that kind of leads into adventure so that it's all kind of um it's all mixed together to me and that that was 85 that you were enlisted 85 86 85 to 89 four, right, 80, four years 85 to 89 yeah. and then uh how, how did that that work the progression over to the commission side well um, so after four years, I, I was in Korea. I was uh, stationed up at uh, the Truce Village of Panmunjom in the jo uh, United Nations Command Joint Security Force. And um, the first sergeant kept asking me, uh, it's time for you to go to PLDC and, and uh, you know, we, we want you in the next class. And I said, well, you know, I don't know, first sergeant. Um, and uh, I don't know. In my mind, I didn't have any master plan, um, but I kept rejecting it. And I think there must have been something bigger involved in my life that kind of helped me kept rejecting that. Um, and then one day I was walking back from the mess hall and I was walking past this, uh, this I don't know, E5 or E6 having a discussion with a group of his friends. And he was, he was telling everybody how he was going to get out and uh, use his GI Bill and go to, go to university. And I wasn't even part of that group, but I, as I walked by very slowly, I heard that. And it's amazing how something like that can just change the whole nexus. Yeah, the whole dynamic of, of, your, of the rest of your life. And so something like that just clicked with me. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, that's what so, I need to do. That's what I need to do. So so you, um, you, you actually got out, I'm assuming in 89, there wasn't those programs like Green to Gold. No, uh, I didn't do Green to Gold. I didn't do any of that. I, I flat out of the military okay and um went back to uh my home state in town 
use my GI bill. And I also had the college fund. So I got those two combined and I was setting out, um, on getting my, being a history major. And I was going to, I was going to teach school. (laughs) That's what I I was going to ask is what you, you know, what you went to school for. Was it ultimately, uh, you know, I think, uh, in at least in today's time for somebody to go green to gold or to somebody to try to go from the enlisted side to the commission side, they're just out to get whatever degree it doesn't, it really doesn't matter. They're just like, I just want to get this done so I can get over to the commission side and start making more money, which is obviously the wrong approach to take to it all anyways. Um, because you should be broadening your, your knowledge and, your experience and whatnot, and you should be wanting to learn and acquire this skill and and pose yourself for the next chapter of your life or whatever. So you have a fallback plan now, even once you get out of, once you're done being an officer, well, now you can go teach history, right? Um, so that's that's pretty cool. I don't want to take up too much, um, but um, yeah, that that's super cool. I'm always interested. I wanted to do green to gold very badly, and I never did. Um, and I, it's something that I always talked about and I just never ended up doing it. And then by the time, you know, it was time that I could do it. It was, I'd have to get a waiver for everything, time and service waiver, age waiver, uh, dependence waiver, uh, background waiver. Like it was everything. It was everything. So I was like, you know, I'll just stick, I'll just stay on the enlisted progression, I guess now. Um, and then that PLDC that, that you were mentioning, that's what, uh, would become uh, WLC or now exactly PLC. yes okay and okay and um, it's you know it's this is what I see from my worldview is this is God's hand at work because um, I, I had been going to university working towards my teacher certificate for two years and in retrospect there is no way I ever 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 would have survived survived um, in public school education I just uh, I'm too much of, I'm too independent. Uh, I push the envelope and I have ideals and worldviews that don't line up with, I didn't see it this way when I was 18 or 19 when I, when I was thinking it. But looking back, I'm almost sure I would have gotten myself embroiled in, in some sort of uh, um, trouble in, in the public school system. I just, uh, now, I mean, especially these days, I, I would be gone in a heartbeat canceled so when you say when you say public school system you mean like a public university right not a private university you're not talking about middle school no yeah i mean i i I could have absolutely taught a parochial school i mean that that would have been a good uh, yeah i'm 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 experiencing the same thing right now um so i just medically retired back in july i go to school mostly online but i do go to school uh you know in person you know a couple times a week and yeah, it's different. It's different. And like the grading, the gradings is all from biases and nobody's really teaching you anything. You know what I mean? You're really just figuring everything out for yourself. And I'm just like, man, I can't believe they charge what they charge nowadays either too. Cause everything is available to you. Everything, everything that they're going to tell you is at your fingertips. So, um, but even, but, so yeah, now like these days, there's a lot like that whole thing with bias is, is big in public school, but, um, I like I I you know we've talked some Devin about you know spirituality and and religious belief and um 
I, you know, what I'm hearing and correct me if I'm wrong is that if you're trying, if you were put in a position where you had to do, uh, be a public school teacher, um, especially as we're going into the nineties and then into the aughts, um, there, there was a, essentially an activist group in the country. Um, I think more than one that was really pushing the whole separation of church and state. And when you're trying to teach people like your worldview all that stuff's connected. And so to try and divorce that, if that's the perspective that you see in the world, just to, you know, not offend somebody that's like way too easy to offend, you know, I, is that kind of what you mean? As like, as you're, as you're, if you were trying to teach and be candid and, you know, like it's always, everything that you say is from your perspective. I don't believe in this whole, um, oh, you can have this unbiased um, person that's above it all. And like like a news source or something, it's like, oh, we're yeah, uh, what fair and balanced? It's like, no, that's not how people work. We all have a perspective, um, and so it's like if you have a, a traditional religious perspective, you're supposed to actively suppress that in the public school system, which you know I get the argument for, and like I'm not traditionally religious, so I I feel like I'm in a good place to say you know I I don't know if that really works. I don't know that, if that really works. And in growing up, I wasn't traditionally religious either. And I remember having experiences where teachers would, you know, especially in science classes, if they were traditionally religious, would say some things like, you know, and some people, you know, say the Big Bang and like, you know, kind of roll their eyes. And I, I kind of remember being a little butthurt about that because I wasn't traditionally religious. But it's like, get, you know, what I, what I should have done is just get over it. Right? Yeah. You know, because, what, I, what I'm saying is, is... I'm not saying that uh, anybody should be in there to proselytize in the public school system, but you know, for your viewers, I, I would challenge your viewers and uh, if, maybe both of you. If you haven't, there's a really, really excellent movie which which kind of uh, sums us all up, and it's called God's Not Dead Too. So there was an original God's Not Dead movie, which was, that was a good movie. Yeah, which is a good movie, but actually, you know, most times the sequels or the second and third movie are, are somewhat lesser yeah. good or, or not as good. But this is one of those ones where the second one is the best of the whole series. God's Not Dead 2. And it has to do with this um, school teacher in the classroom. And she, she refers to um, Jesus Christ as a historical figure. And he's, she's only talking about the historical sense. And she's canceled, and then she's fired from school, and the union comes against her, and then she, there's this big courtroom battle. And it's, um, it, I know some people think that these Christian movies are kind of third rate, they're, they really suck, and they're not very entertaining. This one is highly entertaining, and it's really poignant. So, if you get it, I would challenge both of you and, and the listeners, if you haven't seen it, to go see God's Not Dead 2 um it's really uh it really kind of captures the whole thing yeah i'll definitely look it up do you know if it's available on any streaming services uh, i'm i'm not sure i i don't see why it wouldn't be but i know you can go down you can it, anybody in their own public public library because the public libraries help um have dvds in their, in their systems so you, you can definitely go down to the public library and request it as a dvd i know that for sure um uh, yeah it's on netflix looks like so, yeah. oh, it's not available in my country, but there's ways around that. There's ways around that that I won't get into here. Um, yeah, no, I'll, well, I'll, I'll definitely check that out. 
so so it's so we can definitely say that you are a, a man of faith um is that fair is that fair to absolutely say? yes okay. for sure awesome. okay good i i am as well um i didn't always start off that way uh i like my grandma was uh very christian but not one to like force it down people's throats it was just a she was the kind of person that if you're ever sick or if you're ever having bad dreams, she would make the comment of, well, you just have to ask God to make you better or ask God to not uh, have you or help you not have bad dreams, you know, but never really want to be citing scripture at you or anything else like that. And then obviously I've gone to church with her a couple of times. And then at some point uh, I, I rejected all of it through, through a different maybe not rejected it, but I guess interpreted it differently. Uh, maybe, maybe you could say I got fell on the ancient aliens kick for a little bit. Um, and then, cause it, I mean, it, it kind of made sense, but then the more, you know, the more that I experienced the world and have gone through like the nonsense that we have been going through ever since, I don't know, I think 2012 was a transitioning point. And I definitely think 2020 was a transitioning point. And it's almost like, there was like this spiritual awakening, if that makes sense, um, where it was just like a like an aha moment where it was just like uh, I've never been closer to uh, faith or a God or a creator or a whatever. So and it, it's just crazy that something like like a 2020 or something like that or an all like a life altering experience can just completely change your worldview on everything you know absolutely um so I, that was a little side rant but i wanted to let you know <laughs> let you know i i i'm here with you i'm a man of faith as well um do you think that that influenced your uh, were you always like that always yes i mean okay. i've just become more learned and more knowledgeable uh more um well-spoken more logical yeah in in my thinking because because I think faith and logic kind of go side by side. I mean, Absolutely. I, I've arrived at a, at, at a reasoned faith. I don't take anything on blind faith. So um, right. I've, I've had some really, really tough questions and some really things I wanted answers to. And um, I really, really went looking and I found, I found all the, I found all the answers um, and that I was looking for. And there were really tough questions too. Yeah. Um, that. <clears throat> That's uh, that's kind of how I I feel. I've been down a, it, just uh, just a side note, like studying the Bible and studying ancient religions, like multitudes of ancient religions or old scripts and whatnot. And I think really you need to you need to look at them all to be able to view like what's missing out of each one and kind of be able to put like a you know a better. Oh, I I think the Bible is number one, but I really think that the other ones are you know, give you a lot of insight as to stuff that's been removed from the Bible, maybe, if that makes sense. Um, you know, because obviously there's like lost books of the Bible or removed books of the Bible and stuff like that, that are, um, you know, that's a whole other conversation. But um, yeah, I, I, I feel you in that aspect. I love going off and researching and, and looking for answers. And I guess you could say I'm an idealist or a, a philosopher, I guess, I guess uh, I question why about everything um literally everything i want to know the inner workings behind it i want to know what's driving it i want to know what's resulting from it um and i think i really think why is probably the best question anybody could ask to anything 
and the army especially hates that uh and there was even a a popular paper that came out i can't even remember who wrote it but it was talking about uh generation y right about how soldiers that have come in since maybe like you know 2008 2010 you know before then your and your leader could tell you something stupid to do say hey take this lighter and go bury it in a hole and you just didn't ask questions and then and then uh there was a period where you know that same nco tells a, a new soldier that came in a little bit later go go bury this lighter for no reason and the soldier asks why you know um that, that's just a example and i don't remember the exact one in it but the the bottom driving to the paper was uh soldiers shouldn't be asking why and soldiers should just be shutting up and doing what they're told to do um and i don't really see that as like any correct way to to lead I, i'm assuming you as a you know like a man of faith and a, a leader of moral character and you seeing this calling i'm assuming that you would agree yeah i think you're on the right road Rodney. I, I okay agree. Agree with okay. what you with much of what you say. Okay. So yeah, on that note, um, you know, having having this, you know, spiritual position, being a man of faith, what I'm most curious about is how that interacted with your experience in the army and your development as a leader. As a leader, yeah. And what Maybe if you could just provide us with a couple uh, anecdotes from your career that were particularly salient of where, you know, spirituality and your faith played a role uh, and, and helped you be, you know, the, the best leader that you could be um, or any, any special insights that you gain from, from having that perspective uh, throughout your career. Well, um... So all the all those leadership insights that, that you hear that you read about in the books and that you get taught in school, all those apply. So the, the can stuff is true and it works. You know, lead from the front, the golden rule. Um, all those all those things are characteristics of good leadership, but um, at least part of it. So leadership can some parts of leadership can be learned, but other parts are god-given and then there's 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 also one more part so i think it i think it kind of comes in it in three prongs one is kind of what you're innate innately given uh by god the other one is what you learn in the classroom or along the way in experience yep but the other one is the other one is how you were how you're raised in your upbringing so so what how you're raised in your upbringing puts a, a stamp upon upon you um, as a as a toddler or as a, as a up until you're a ten, and then when you're a teenager, what you see your parents doing, what your life experiences are up to that point, what your what your what your faith foundation is, all that makes a difference, and it all it all kind of flows into the leader that you, that you're going to be. So I think it's all three things combined um or the or the recipe about how any leader comes out um to execute their leadership style um my personal recipe is 
you got to know you got to know your people and I, I know that goes back to the fundamentals but um i'm talking about i always liked i always like going down to the motor pool and and or elsewhere to the shops or to the squads and i like shoot, shooting the shit with the private and and the pfc and the specialist and i liked i actually enjoyed not because i had to but I actually enjoyed exchanging stories and backgrounds about where they were from, um, diving, a, you know, skin deep about what they believed. We didn't get too, you know, too far down the road unless we were doing some one-on-one. But, uh, you know, what was going on in their lives, where they traveled to, their, you know, if we had past duty stations together, we could talk about those. And a lot of times there was a lot of overlap. And then just by virtue of, of doing that, you're, you're creating a connection um, at, the, at the absolute um, lowest level. But then you just do that with all ranks. And, you know, pretty soon you know all the stories of private so-and-so, PFC so-and-so, specialist so-and-so, sergeant so-and-so, staff sergeant so-and-so, your platoon sergeant. And uh, so you not only know what they, what you know in the office, but you know where they come from, what state they're from, where they're coming from mentally, where they were educated, what their past duty stations and experiences are. And um, it's two ways. So you, you're learning, you're learning that for yourself, but guess what? They're learning about you too. Right. And you're, you're opening up a door into their heart and into their mind. And now you're, it's like a handshake. You're, you, they're, you're you're handshaking with them, but they're handshaking back, and so you're, you develop that rapport right. um, with everybody up and down the line. So I think that's a start. Um, and, and soldiers and it's a really see, long one. soldiers see that too, you know, and especially privates, you know, especially brand brand new privates, they're scared of everybody, you know. And I, I'll say anybody, you know, like. I'll say everybody under the rank of sergeant probably doesn't like talking to the captain, the the major, you know, uh, tenses up when they come around. But by showing that, it's it's showing like, hey, I'm not just a rank. I'm a person. I'm your mentor and uh, I'm your leader. But I also care. You know what I mean? And I want to I want to show you guys that, you know, I'm not just this indoctrinated robot that's here to just hem you up all the time, but I'm here to establish a relationship with all of you so we can be the the closest knit group that we possibly can be. Yeah, totally yeah. agree with that. And and I think this is a God-given ability with, with uh, for myself, I'm not bragging or anything, but I mean, I, I, I always had a genuine interest and ability just to connect with anybody at where, where they're at and right at, at their level and just uh you just got to find the common ground i mean it, i i've met people who are just so aloof or just in an ivory tower and, and they're hard to communicate and, and they've got no personality and it's uh those are just the worst commanders i, I had a i had a, a a really good run on people who i had who i worked for who who were senior in rank to me but there was one or two, and uh, at least one of these guys was a, was a one-star general. 
and um, just had absolutely no personality. And just, I could not connect with that person. I just, uh, I had interaction with that person, but I just, there was no give and take. There was no, it was like, um, geez, is this guy like a, a cyborg or something? You know, it's right, just yeah. like, I had, I got to connect with people on a certain level and I just couldn't connect with them. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I, I think this, this idea that those kind of interactions, like, first of all, what you just said, that it's a skill, I think that that's missed. And since it's missed, the army looks at it and they go, hey, not everybody's doing this. And then what they try and do is they say, they say hey, you're hugging Joe. You're a gel hugger if you we, do this. We've got a, no, like, we've got an institutional solution, you know, we'll, you know, behavioral health in the chaplain corps. Okay. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so instead of, instead of empowering and encouraging leaders to expand those innate talents and then calling people that don't have that skill out for what it is, it's like, look, you don't got it. Yeah. You know, it's an essential leadership attribute that some people don't have, and they're not going to be as good. Wait. This idea that everybody can be good with the amount of training and there's no innate differences right. in yeah. ability. Um, I, I just don't think that's a reality. And that egalitarian mindset uh, sets it up. So it's like, no, everybody can do it. And if somebody doesn't have that interpersonal ability, well, it's just a matter of training. And, oh, well, actually, that's obviously not true. So it's what we'll do is we'll create these subject matter experts that we can then pawn off the responsibility for generating this social cohesion on in the chaplain corps and behavioral health but that doesn't work because those nobody wants leaders. to go see them yeah. no nobody but, wants but, to go see them joe's it, it, like yeah. lower and, enlisted take look we are at least in the infantry side i can't speak on everybody but it is a sign of weakness to go to evh or to go speak to the chaplain or people don't want to come to their leader and say hey can i speak to the chaplain not every soldier knows how to get a hold of them i mean they they're supposed to and i'm sure it's advertised enough that they should have known by now but like people uh people view it as like a, a sign of weakness i guess like hey maybe my maybe i'm not headstrong like the rest of these guys you know or why you know why is this bothering me so much but it doesn't seem to be bothering anybody else and i think whereas if if your leader knew how to uh, assess you and and deal with you, um, you know, then your soldier is going to be more likely to come to the leader than it is going to be to go to the chaplain. Does that make sense? Yeah, what I'm saying. It, it, so yeah, absolutely. You're absolutely not coming true. around. You're not coming around in a because they need treatment. You're coming around to build a relationship, right? You know, because you're their leader and it's a bi-directional thing. And I got to imagine that you know colonel mudelman coming around and talking with those junior soldiers like not only is that establishing that relationship but it's leading from the front and showing that example to all those officers and ncos in between like hey this is this is something that i expect you to do you know, it's like they... if i can make time to do it then you can make time to do it and look at the look at the results instead of this top down you know I, I i won't be vague about it it'll be really explicit as an example of the exact opposite as we have right now these golden triangle calls 
So these golden triangle calls are um, leaders are required to call the next of kin of each of their soldiers, right? But everybody knows that it's a requirement coming from the top down. So, you know, if Colonel Newdelman comes down and does that and nobody else is saying to do it and it's not being directed, that is a demonstration that he cares. You know, it's like, hey, you know, you're doing a great job. I, I want to, like, can I call you next to, like, you got a mom or dad, you know. Oh, in that case, yeah, yeah. That I, mm-hmm. that I call, I don't want to, I want to let them know what a great job you're doing. That's yeah. like, wow. You know, like this, this person cares that much. That's incredible. And that builds that connection. It does the exact opposite when that soldier knows that it's just a check the block requirement. And, and, but at the so same that's time, kind of what I'm speaking about. Yeah, yeah, th- yeah. At the same time, touching on what you just said about the check the box requirement, and I'm I'm sure it wasn't the case with you, Devin. Uh, but if if you're that BC or that commander, whatever that everybody just dislikes and doesn't respect, every time you come around, people are like, "Oh my gosh, man!" Like, "Yep, here comes the BC again." You know, coming to so it, you definitely it has to be a from a place of of genuineness you know what i mean and not not because uh well i better go make my rounds today or i better go see what the the guys are up to or i i know that i'm supposed to show face at least once in the barracks or you know whatever it's a matter of doing it because you actually care and you want to do it but if you're just that vip that's showing up just because you're a vip and you're like oh yeah let me you know at least from the enlisted side, right? Uh, you know, perfect. No, example. you're exactly correct. Uh, whether it's enlisted or officer, if you're yeah. a faker, the, the, the soldiers are, are in a heartbeat. They're going to recognize your fakeness in a heartbeat. Yeah. They can pick up on that. And not only that, but, um, you know, they're not going to have a lot of confidence in you. So when they have those gripes or concerns, uh, they're going to take them to other places right instead of instead of the chain of command so they're going to go off and run off to the it or they're going to go run off and file uh uh some other sort of complaint or go see the chaplain or something like that and so um right if you're a faker yeah they're going to pick up on that and you're not going to have you're not going to build that trust in the chain of command so you ever you ever just have that awkward person that just comes around and you just know that they're just you know not genuine you know they're just a faker they're just you know they're just not uh an upfront honest person or whatever you can just tell you're like oh here comes that person around coming around again um but real quick touching on what you had said uh and then i'll pass it over to grant because i know he actually has some uh other questions uh you had mentioned this innate ability uh, this innate leadership ability and this nurture versus nature ability and this uh, this learned ability to lead and how it's kind of, you know, triple faceted, I guess, or multifaceted. And I just think that that's amazing coming from, you know, an 06 with, you know, how long, 33 years uh, of military leadership, you know, experience and then whatever leadership experience after that. And that's literally the first episode that we had, right, Grant? We talked about, uh, you know, are you just born with it? Is it, you know, is it nature versus nurture? Is it just, because uh, I had mentioned, you know, because uh, I was the same way and I I even posed it the same way. I was like, I don't want to brag, but I feel like I've always 
I always had this natural ability. Now that isn't to say that people can't learn to lead, but I think in order to be that that well-rounded leader, it's something that you really need to be born with, something that you really need to have had either through really bad experiences where you learned like what not to do and what wrong is and uh you know how to you know go right from there or or you just had a really good example of you know sound moral principles and character and whatnot growing up for the nature versus nurture aspect you know and then the the on the job training the all the other little stuff that shows you kind of how to do a job but not necessarily how to lead if that makes sense and i i really think that there are big differences between each individual one and like the combination of all of them so i really wanted to, to point that out because that was our first episode that that we had posted um, so um but yeah grant yeah well i mean you came in under the Reagan administration, uh, Cold War is still ongoing. It's the tail end of the Cold War. Um, end up transitioning, going the officer route. You know, we have all these presidential administrations, all of these things that happen uh, culturally in the country. And then, um, you know, Gulf, you know, Panama, Gulf War One. You know, global war on terror. You know, you went through all of that. What I really want to talk about and and hear your perspectives on is uh, the sociopolitical changes in culture in the army. Because there's aspects of army culture that I read old stuff, and I see that it's there's some things that are the same, some problems and challenges that have been around as long as the organization's been around. Um, especially the parallels between the Vietnam War and the global war on terror. Uh, but yeah, just can, can you speak on that? Just from when you first came in, like what the culture was like and how it related to the nation at large. And then, you know, by the time that you got out and even current day, um, your perspective. Yeah. Um, so I've seen quite a bit of change and instead of evolution, I see, I, I've seen basically a, de a devolution of, yeah. of our military since 1985. Um, Is it, do you think it's intentional? Intentional um, has, it, it, if something's intentional, there, there's a mind behind it. Is somebody right. deliberately trying to weaken right. the United so States? I think military? there are, I, I think there are, I think there there is uh, there is a, uh, a groups of minds behind it, and there are cultural and spiritual influences that are um, that are behind this. I, I don't think there's one mind behind right. all this. Yeah. Right. So it, it's in. I would say it's less single mind intentional as opposed to cultural influences uh that are that are happening that are affecting the military which are driving the devolution right so 
Could you give some some examples of maybe some like, some drastic changes that you had seen where you're just like, what is going on in the army right now? <laughs> so when I came in, in 1985, we were focused solely on war fighting. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the internet internet age has something to do with what I'm talking about, not totally, but I mean, we didn't have any mandatory we didn't have mandatory mandatory training back then. Yeah, right. We had, was... we had one that I that I remember, and that was the Saeeda briefing, which was a subversion and espionage directed against the United States. The only briefing that we had in my whole four year first four years was the Saeeda briefing. And for the for the viewers that that don't know, that's probably how to identify insider threats. Yes. Right? Uh, okay. All right. We didn't have any of the online, and then as the years went by, the the which I'm sure Grant still has to deal with, is you just have mandatory training piled on one after another, and it just eats away at your time. And it's just so burdensome, and it's frustrating because this is these are yearly mandatory trainings uh, that are somewhat culturally influenced. And you gotta go in and you gotta take it every single year. And you're thinking to yourself, why do I have to take this? Okay, one time, I understand. Multiple times a year in Multiple, some cases. Once a year, every year, and you're like, okay, I know this stuff by heart. Yeah. Why am I being repeat, uh, repeatedly bombarded with this every and single no, year? Nobody takes it seriously anyways. People cheat all those tests. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Like, I don't think anybody has ever really taken any of the online nonsense that has just been fire-hosed at us. <laughs> seriously. You say they cheat the test, and that's a really important point that so like all this annual training requirement, um, if if you're listening to this, just look up lying to ourselves uh by um Wong and Garris, who wrote it at, you know, I think at the at the war college, they wrote up a paper that covered exactly this issue that they published in 2015. They did analysis and it showed that the 350-1 training actually took more than a year to do all of it yeah the annual training requirements it takes more than a year just for those not to mention all the actual training and war fighting that you're supposed to do and so like like rodney said it creates this situation where everybody is just cheating the test and not taking it seriously well what does that do to your character yeah now you're lacking in integrity yeah. When some percentage of what you have to do in the army in order to get stuff done is you have to lie. Um, and and the people will say, and they what's the army's motto? Yeah, they'll say, they'll say, you ain't trying. Yeah, they'll say, I've never lied. And you just press just a little bit. And they did that with those interviews. And they found that, oh, people will be like, oh, yeah, actually, we do lie all the time because they get numb to it. They can't even tell. Yeah. So, um, well, the army also has that. A... Oh, sorry. There, there's also the saying uh, in the army. It's a very, very popular one. If you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. Um, yeah. And and then, you know, there's also the case of there's only one thief in the army. Everybody else is just trying to get their shit back. So <laughs> that's uh, more on gear. But uh, there is a level of dishonesty in it, you know, and some of it's just by some of it's uh, out of fear you know like you know you're gonna get hemmed up if you don't have something and of course people are never taking out the amount of crazy motor pool operations that goes on 
when there's like some layout that's about to happen is just insane. That's but some some side okay. sidetracks. But uh yeah, I mean the what it has caused is like this uh this ingenuity to cheat the system. Uh I really think that it no because nobody's really out going out and training, having fun in the field, getting to know each other. Now it's how do we get this stuff done as fast as possible so we can go home today? Um that's that's really what I think it kind of morphed into. Um but uh so so you when you came in, they were focused on war fighting and there was only one online or one course for you to take and it was mostly on insider threats and espionage. And then it, Yeah, and so then uh, there's lots of other factors which I think have led to the to the devolution of the military. So um this is another this is a smaller one, but uh you know, when I came in, we didn't have any of these. I mean, it may they may existed on the uh, on the outside, but I don't remember ever attending a history month for any particular ethnicity whatsoever. Right. Uh, I don't remember being advertised. I never went to one. Never even heard of one. And I don't have a problem with any of these ethnicities, but I think it creates division. I mean, when I went back in in the early '90s. Um, I heard lots of gripes from people who, who whose whose month wasn't recognized. Yeah. You know, so you know, what about the German American month or the Russian right. American month or the Irish American month or the English American month? You know. So so, so you're saying you, even when you when you pick and choose which ethnicities you're going to recognize in any particular month, and you only got twelve months, right? Somebody's going to get left out. Not only somebody, but there's lots of groups that are going to be left out. And so you have people think, well, hell, well, what about my group? Right. You know? Yeah. And that's, that's the exact opposite mentality that the army was supposed to engender where we're on one team and right. those, those, those differences and those uh, group identities can, you can use them to connect with people, but the, you know, what's the thing that we should be focusing on the army? Probably those things that we all share, like the fact yes. that we're all soldiers, the fact so, that we're all Americans. Um, and, exactly. I, I just think it creates division. And whether it's, whether it's overt or whether it's internalized and, and you're just thinking it to yourself, you're still so, thinking it to yourself. So you, you're saying you didn't notice this both in or outside the army up until like a, a certain year or whatever, like you came back in and that's when you notice you're like, holy smokes, you know, what is, what is this? That that's kind of, that's it just became I'm, more prevalent. I've never heard of it for the first four years, went back so, in and I, I heard about it once in a while in the nineties. And then I, in the two, in the two thousands, you know, it was posters were everywhere, started yeah. getting emails. Then it was, you you these are command. Uh, these are like command, command performance. You better show up. If you're not there, you're you're marginalized, kind of thing. And it's like, jeez, uh, I mean, that's really. I, um, uh, sorry, sorry. Uh, the. So you're noticing it because I've always had a question. I, I've always had two questions. Really, is the military the testing grounds for stuff that they're trying to introduce to society? Or is the military weakening because of the weaker society that is trickling in, right? And, and uh, in the army is where I always noticed 
uh, you know, this sexual harassment, sexual assault, equal opportunity, so on and so forth, posters everywhere about everything that could ever go wrong and how you could be wronged and who to contact if you're wronged. And now like I go into my daughter's school and there's signs posted up that say Eagle six. And I'm like, I instantly don't like that. Cause I'm, it's a school off post. Uh, Eagle six is the screaming Eagle commander. You know what I mean? And everybody's just viewing it. Like it's a, Oh, it's because the school is called the Eagles. No, no. And even if it was the case, right? They're like, they're making it a point to to militarize the the schools or or set them up in a similar way to what common areas would be like on base. If that makes sense, how if you go into the common areas of in the barracks, that's where you're going to see all these signs and phone numbers and names of uh, uh, faces and names of who to go talk to. And then I'm ultimately seeing it in the school environments as well. Very, very reminiscent of what I'm seeing on base and in my mind i'm like damn they're really trying to you know they're trying to pump the same agenda that's happening on base to the students that are outside of base but at the same time i've always conflicted myself or i've always gone back and forth on if we're doing all of this stuff because of the type of society that was trickling in you know was it was there a a weaker a weak uh, a less or a more mentally weak society that was trickling in, that was offended by everything. And now all of a sudden we start doing this or did the military start doing this first and then introduce it into society? If that, yeah, does that- It's the classic, uh, classic chicken or the, the chicken or the egg, right? First. Right. Yeah. But I, I just, I, I brought it up because you, you said that you hadn't even noticed that in the like civilian world about this you know uh certain months or whatever and then you well i'm telling you i work in the civilian world right now yeah yes and you know and i've been in the workforce for a couple years and i i I tell you what i've been i've gone through the whole couple 12 month periods already and i've heard neither hide nor hair of any such and such observance month at the workplace zero Okay, so civilian because world, civilian I'm world. I'm guessing that they, they know it creates division and that, okay. you know, they're not going to go there. Right. So, okay. Okay. Yeah, I, I, my take on all this stuff is that institutions are targets of activists. So if you work for a private company, so like the really large companies, the multinationals, like those are institutions, but the more concentrated the power, the more attractive it is as a target for activists that have an agenda. You're exactly correct. And so in the art, like the army, the military is a great target. Um, And what I think a lot of leaders don't understand is they don't understand the objective of the activists. So they'll see this stuff that is designed to sound good and be non-controversial at first glance, like uh, an appreciation month. Right. What's what I mean, what's wrong with appreciation? Yeah. But on like the surface, Devin you wouldn't said, think you think it would be harmless, right? But yeah. the, in, but in there's, the there's going to be people in, uh, not included. Yes. But even oh. more insidious than that, that's not the, the point that's being advanced by the, the activists. So like the activists that are the reason that these things are getting implemented, their position comes from a place where they view um, American society and the entire Western civilization as oppressive. And yeah, they're trying to disrupt it. it. Yeah. 
systematic or systemic oppression and that mm -hmm. your status as oppressor or oppressee perpetrator or victim has to do with innate characteristics that you don't have any control over the color of your skin what's between your legs like those are the things that determine your character um and it's it's an inversion of the truth because mm -hmm. really character has to do with choice and free will it has to do with what you have control over and what makes you virtuous is doing the right thing and if you don't have if they're setting up the frame if the whole entire frame is that there's nothing that you can do because of the color of your skin like that that's where they're coming from and that's why i think that it it is so divisive because they're intending to the, the activists are intending for it to be divisive while everybody else is looking on thinking well what's the big deal like diversity is good inclusion is good and it's yeah. like that's that's not what they're trying to do yeah um, but it's complicated and so oh. it, i that, that's that's one of the reasons i wanted to do this podcast is to talk about these things because I don't think a lot of leaders, I don't think they're concerned about this kind of thing. And there's a lot of senior folks that if I think this was explained to them, they'd be like, wow, there's, you know, they, like nobody wants their troops to be divided. Nobody wants nobody to wants talk about the, un the uncomfortable facts, you know? So there, there's four more things that I, before we move on to the next topic that, you yeah. know, that kind of lead, that I, that kind of support the thesis here. And that's, you know, in the 1990s, you had don't ask, don't tell, yep. you know? And oh, that was a huge change. Yeah, that was a huge change. And, and then, it's something and then, I don't even think about. Yeah, I like I forgot right? all about it. Yeah. And then in the 2000s, they got rid of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. And then that's when General Mixon, the USERPAC commander, you know, spoke up. And General Peter Pace, who was the Joint Chief of Staff, spoke up. And they got canceled and, and fired and, and retired. And... Uh, you know, and then you had uh, President Obama allowing transgenders in the military, you know, experimenting. Um, again, we're talking about experimentation in the military, and that yeah. does not lead to readiness. Uh, right. That leads to unreadiness. Right. And, then yeah. you and now, you have, now you have the Air Force discouraging the use of gender, gender pronouns in conducting their written business. And you have the Marine Corps dropping uh, references to ma'am and sir for drill instructors. I mean, I mean, all of these things lead, are, are not leading to better readiness or better warfighting. Um, they're distractions. Now let me tell you one more thing that, that uh, most people don't know that's quite shocking. And I'm surprised no, more people don't complain about this. Um, and that's the fact in the promotion system. In the promotion system, I've known people who sat on promotion boards, several. And this is the process. If you're up for promotion, whether it be the captain or major or lieutenant colonel or full colonel or whatever. Sergeant first class, I'm yeah. assuming. Yeah. Okay. Mm. And it's a centralized board. Yep. The board's going to meet. And the board has quotas and percentages they, and targets that they're, they're after for certain races and sexes. Yep. So let's pretend let's, that, that we're at the cut line here. So can everybody envision what a, what a cut line is? It's the people who make the promotion 
or above the cut line, the people who don't make the promotion or below the cut line. Yeah, okay? there's a score, yeah. right? There's an yeah. aggregate score that yes. everybody's file gets. Okay. So or, if, you're, if you're well above the cut line, you're safe. If you're if you're well below the cut line, you're not going to get promoted. Okay, those are easy ones. Now let's get really close to the cut line. Right. Okay. After all the voting is ha happens at the centralized board, and if if you're just creeped above above the cut line for 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 at least thirty minutes or an hour, you're going to get promoted, but you're not. Because there are people who are also just below the cut line, okay, who, who don't who, who don't make it. The board, because because of the the list that they came up with after voting, does not meet the right the right number of females or the not right number of races. They automatically go back, and they they bring that some of the people who were just below the cut line who were not going to get promoted. And bring them above the cut line. And some of the people who were just above the cut line, if they were males or they weren't the right race, they come below the cut line. Yeah. Okay. And lo and behold, you were good enough to get promoted, but now you're not because you didn't you weren't the right gender or the right race. Right. And when yeah. these promotion boards get announced. Sometimes and very often, especially in the two in the two thousands, some of us would look around after the you know the promotion list come out at midnight on on Friday, you know, and and everybody's looking at it themselves the, the very next Monday and saying, "How the heck did so and so get promoted before so and so? Right? How is that possible? You know?" And then when you when you think about it and how these boards happen. It's like, okay, now I understand it. I mean, I don't agree with it whatsoever, but you know, Joe Schmo must have must have been dropped out of below the cut line and and Mrs. So and so must have been brought above the cut line. And that's how this happened. Um, and but I'm then, just using hypotheticals. I'm not saying it's always a female or a certain race, but I'm just saying this well, is yeah, not you a merit this is not a merit system and this is um this is unfair. The reason yeah. why it's hard to be challenged is because it's not in the public domain. Oh, the and deliberations, it makes you, the it deliberations makes you, of the board are secret and sensitive and locked up. You, they are never published and they're not allowed to be accessed through FOIA. And so these kinds of results are very, very hard to be challenged. But if people knew, there would be such an outcry and, and, and they would be outraged. Well, not, not only that, but if anybody were to challenge it, they would... Uh, it, they would be painted as a racist. Yes. You know, like yeah, or, that's yeah. just the world that we're living in today. If you point out the fact that there are any sort of incentivized systems by colleges, universities, employments, whatever, where, uh, you know, where they are selecting just because they feel that they need to meet a quota because of certain races or genders, then you're you are now defeating the purpose of the whole thing, right? The, it, it's supposed to be, you know, hey, just hire people. It doesn't matter what race, gender, whatever, but once you start making these quotas and whatnot, now you're intentionally dropping some races and genders off to select others just because you have to meet your quota. 
uh, and that's yeah, that's messed up. But um, so I've I've heard that this uh, this happens, but I've, I've, nobody's ever uh, laid it out explicitly saying, you know, hey, I, you know, I know people secondhand that have been on the boards, and this is what happens. Um, you know, what we're talking about essentially is just it's affirmative action, right? They so they released a letter too. They released a letter after the end of the centralized board. And uh, I think race and gender are in there along with like, you know, they talk about uh, so and or X number out of X number had. An yeah, but that's, IV, that's supposedly X, just demographic information. That's somewhat different. That's the demographic results of what actually happened in the end. Right, but it's not yeah, a representation right. of what happened in the middle of the process. Right. I really, really wish somebody, somewhere, who's who got whiff that they that they've been screwed would would file a a court case and it would get to the Supreme Court. To get a Supreme Court. Well, from from what I understand is is the Supreme Court not in the middle of considering affirmative action right oh, now? That, they are for the Harvard case. Yeah. So yeah. I think I think. Based on the results of that case, if they determine that um, that's unconstitutional, then I think that would be a really good opportunity to uh, try and try and question that practice in the military. Because um, you know, if as you get more senior, everybody ends up like a lot of people end up on promotion boards. If you don't end up on one, you're going to have close friends that are. And so if everybody that's senior knows that this is what's going on and a lot of junior people infer it based on, uh, like you said, Devin, like the results and, you know, because a, a lot of our performance is, uh, it's objectified. You know, we have evaluations where um, they try and make everything objective. So it's really easy to compare between officers and like that system of, coming up with an objective score saying, hey, this person's the top 10% of officers that I work with, et cetera, getting that top block, all those things don't necessarily correspond to the, to the overall quality and capability of an officer or NCO. But nevertheless, we have the scores. And so when people get promoted over people where those things don't line up, it's pretty obvious. And then when that happens, um, you know, Thomas Sowell does, is probably like the best source on this topic of the results of affirmative action policies and the social problems that they create. Um, you know, the, the quintessential example that he uses is with college admissions, where you have very, very bright um, African-American students that uh, nevertheless get mismatched with like very elite schools like that are um, at just the level too high. Like, so uh, folks that say score higher than um, in, the, in the top 10% on the SAT, but then they get paired with people that score in the top 1%. And you, then they're, they don't do as well because the it's more challenging than um, what the admission requirement was for everybody else. Uh, so that mismatch causes people to not do well, whereas they would have done really, really well if if that finger wasn't being put on the scale. And I imagine it's probably similar in the military because we're we're always judging each other on competence. 
um, you know, especially when we got to work as a team. Uh, so I, yeah, it, it creates a lot of problems, I think, and there's a lot of negative second and third order effects. And I, I think it's, it's flagrantly unconstitutional in any case. Absolutely. So just two um, points. One, one thing is it's more, it's more routine than you think it is. This happens virtually every, every single board. It's not just here and there. The second thing is, is what is the end result? The end result is that we're not picking and promoting the best people based on merit. And so what does this mean? It means that we're less ready and we don't have our best people leading us into the next war or, or defending our country. So it's a, it, it could end up being, will end up being a catastrophic result. Yeah. My... If, if your primary objective is to dismantle systemic oppression, then you're willing to sacrifice some military readiness, right? In order to get that objective. And there are people for whom that is their number one objective because they see systemic oppression as the number one threat. I mean, we don't have to speculate. We had talked previously about the extremism stand down where they're like, this is the number one threat to readiness in the military. And as a physical therapist, I'm like, what about back pain? You that know? was absolutely... That was absolutely ridiculous when they did that. That was insane. I like I was offended when they did that. And I don't get offended, but when they did that extremism stand down thing, which if I remember correctly, it was following January 6th, right? It was following the January 6th event. And then the entire army had to do a stand down. I'm just letting the, the viewers know the entire army had to do a stand down where the leaders had to give classes. So I, I got this printout and I'm reading through the classes and I have to read these, uh, what are they called? Snippets or uh, vignettes. And everything was, everything was white people. Everything was white radicals, white supremacists, like everything, everything. And I was like, you know, there's a lot more extremism going on right now than just from white people. You know what I mean? And it really like, it upset me because I'm like, we're not being fair towards addressing extremism. We're only addressing white people. That, like, that's what it was. And it was what, right when Biden took office? I'm like, dude, this is ridiculous, man. This is how this next four years is going to go, you know? So I don't know. That's just a side rant. I didn't appreciate it. I didn't appreciate having to be the leader that sits there and reads, uh, to all of my soldiers about how they're all evil whiteies, pretty much. Um, I didn't appreciate it at all. So um, especially when there was stuff that, and it was only addressing like the KKK and white supremacy. And I'm like, well, what's going on? We just witnessed Antifa last year, BLM last year, like all this crazy stuff within the last two years. Why are we not talking about this? Because I don't want to talk about it because those yeah, are it's... different groups and they're not trying to bastardize those groups currently like they're trying to bastardize anybody that's white, male, or, you know, whatever. So, I don't yeah. know. It doesn't raise critical consciousness. It doesn't. Devin, you, Devin, you were going to say something. No, I was, I was just going to make one comment follow up on yours. So, about the... If your goal is um, 
to fight oppression or to raise up certain classes. Well, okay, well, that's all well and good. I mean, but I don't agree with that. But if you don't have a country, right? <laughs> if you don't, if you lose your country, and if you lose your autonomy, then then the goal that you mentioned or that these people want is going to be a non-starter anyway because you don't have a country. So the yeah. well, what's the first yeah. order of business? The first order of right. business is you got to have a country. Why well, I don't I don't think that they that set of beliefs doesn't really come with a desire for uh, a multipolar world with national sovereignty. It's more right. of an international order. I understand what uh, you're saying. I, one world, I one world government. Kind yeah, of they thing. don't they don't care about America. Agree. Yeah, um, but um, one one thing I'll add to the extremism thing is just because it's a funny anecdote. Is I have a a colleague who's who's a captain and was in one of those trainings and it was online being provided online, and they brought up. Uh, I think they said like uh, saying white lives matter. No, not even that. They said saying all lives matter was an yeah. example of hate speech. And so he spoke up and was like, I don't see, I mean, if, if that is, then, you know, black lives matter is that's not consistent. And uh, the person that was presenting it was like, well, I can tell you, you know, like that, uh, you know, it's an indication of, white privilege and yeah. you don't like if you had the lived experience and he's like let him finish and he's like well as you know i know you can't see me because i'm on video but as a, another expert in being black in america <laughs> and just you know yeah, so that's funny and, and everybody gets a good a good laugh out of it but some of the leaders were like oh, shut up you know shut yeah up. Mm -hmm. and it's like it's just it's just it's just absurd um but it's not absurd if you if you understand the objectives and what it's about but everybody else is just just kind of confused and that confusion um god it, it it has second and third order effects that i think people aren't aren't taking uh, seriously as they should um, i can't believe yeah. people people fall for it all so easily honestly i'm like how are people falling well, for? So i think it goes back to that ethical numbing where it's like yeah. we're used to doing stuff that's bs and check yeah. the block so what's another bs check the block training what's right. different about it right you know why are you complaining no, I I even mean from just like a you know a Western society aspect or people that watch the news or listen to all the agendas that they throw at us all the time. Well, it's not, I don't it's people not fall popular. into the trap. So it's not, easy. it's not popular. It's it's like Devin said. If if everybody knew, yeah, there would be an uproar because affirmative action is not a popular policy. Right. It's not. Yeah. Not not yeah. in America. You know, the majority of Americans do not favor discriminating against people based on um innate characteristics like that you yeah know, americans for the most part believe in meritocracy but not Wait. everybody but the majority is there um, a is, is there a definitive time Devin? like a, a definitive year that you can look back to and be like this is where it all changed uh, yes there is but it goes beyond just the military this just kind of goes to the heart of the nation yeah let's go let's get into it yeah, I mean, so, I mean, now you're going to get me going because... Uh, get get I going, this, Devin. I love it. I love it. This all goes back to around ni ni the 1960s, particularly 1962, right? Okay. So, in 1962, um, you had the Supreme Court case where they took uh, uh, prayer, prayer out of school, mm -hmm. right? 
and uh, that was Engel versus Vitale. You know, so this is this is the this is the start of a devolution of the nation, not the military itself. She, you know? she was a, she was a woman, correct? If I'm trying, if I you know, I, I I think she was. I don't remember. Yeah, and she was like an. Think about our nation. She... Think about our nation and how it was on an upward slope, and how we we fought two world wars. Uh, we fought our civil war and two world wars, and we were we were as strong as we ever were, and, and we were all always on the up and up. And now and now let's think about the United States since 1962. Okay. And we've been sort of on the downhill and on the downslope. So that's just that's just the inflection point that you were talking about, Rodney. But okay. then you had the legalization of the uh, of the murder of babies in 1973 with Roe versus Wade. Okay. And then you had 1980, where the Supreme Court struck down in a Kentucky law, uh, which required a, a copy of the Ten Commandments to be posted in the classroom. You know, so the Supreme Court struck that down. And then in the 1990s and the 2000s, you had American presidents pressuring Israel to give away land for peace. Yeah. Okay. Oh, man, that's that, a whole other conversation. That is a recipe. What, what had been the recipe for, the, for America's rise and being on the up and up? Our support for Israel. Yeah. Okay. Even for Jews. Zionism. Yeah, but yeah. even before that, the, the Jews, George Washington welcomed the, Jew, the Jews into America, and then every president thereafter, we never oppressed them, we always welcomed them, and they were always welcome to be here and be our citizens, and then um, we liberated the, the Nazi concentration camps in World War II, and then, and then the one whole of the world absolute biggest uh, pluses for America was when President Harry S. Truman recognized the Jewish state in 1948 when it became a nation, immediately, the day of, within hours. And th this was America's height of power. Mm -hmm. and, th and then you have in the 1990s and the 2000s, um, you have American presidents pressuring Israel to give away land for peace. This is a recipe for disaster. Yeah. Then you have... Then you have um, the Ten Commandments uh, monuments being being ordered, being taken out of courthouses in Alabama, in, in Oklahoma. You have you have gay gay marriage being authorized uh, in 2015 by Supreme Court case. Um, and these are these are just. Um, this all starts in 1962, and it's, and it's just a downward slope from 1962. And to tell you the tr tell you the truth, I'm really, really fearful for our country. Because yeah, yeah, absolutely, this, I I am too, Devin. I am yeah, too. this this is this is America committing national suicide. Yeah, for sure. It is intentionally by somebody, by some mind or collection of minds. Somebody wants America to not exist anymore. <laughs> um, yeah. I really or, think or, I think it's to, blatantly obvious. Uh, or just to exist as a you know as one a global of many state nations. Yeah. Um, hey, here's what here's what Abraham Lincoln said. I, I have the quote here from him if I could read it. This is from Abraham Lincoln. Quote: Shall we expect some transatlantic military giant to overstep the ocean and crush us at a blow? 
never. All the armies of Europe, of Asia, and of Africa combined, with all the treasures of the earth in their military chest, with a bone apart for commander, could not by force take a drink from the Ohio or make a track on the Blue Ridge in a trial of a thousand years. At what point then is the approach of danger to be expected? I answer, if it ever reach us, it must spring up amongst ourselves. It cannot come from abroad. If destruction be our lot, we must ourselves be its author and finisher. A nation of freemen, we must live. As a nation of freemen, we must live through all time or die by suicide. End of quote. Yeah, in America, we're geostrategically blessed. And the, the threat inflation of the national security state, I think, has created a situation where we're, we're looking at those threats from abroad. And that allows, um, you know, domestic, I'll, I'll, I'll say domestic enemies, because people that don't want to support and defend the Constitution, because frankly, uh, American sovereignty is baked into the Constitution. The idea that you know, America should subject itself to, uh, you know, an international law that's not aligned with the interests of the American people. Like, I, I, there's, it's not in line with the Constitution, supporting and defending the Constitution uh, and defending the people of the United States. So, um, like, I'll just say that, 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 you know, people that have that objective are uh, enemies of America. And, this this focus on external threats as if they are existential threats. You know, I, I think, yeah, that Abraham Lincoln quote does a great job of illustrating, you know, it, it's known that the external threats aren't really existential threats. Um, the same way Not that when they're all internal, threats, <laughs> yeah, internal threats can be. Um, all, all, you know, as, you know, somebody with like a progressive background, all support you know, everything that you, you said, because something that I've noticed, you know, yeah, the, like the separation of church and state, like really, the, I think the moral hazard comes when you have mass force schooling, when you have the government spending money on things, it has to be inclusive. You know, it, it, it can't, um, it can't pick Christianity because not everybody's Christian. Mm -hmm. So what's the solution? I think is just not have the federal government control so much stuff so that private spaces, there's more private spaces. And um, even in spite of that, like stuff like school prayer, uh, it's like, don't, don't say the prayer, you know, if, say, you, don't, if you don't want to, you know, my, but if my it's 90% plus of the, well, what I'm saying, I think I agree with you, Grant. And we had, what I'm saying is, is we had a really, really good recipe for 200 years, from 1776 to 1962, we had a really, really, really good recipe. Yeah. And we I'm were sure. on the up and up, and we were on the, the, incl the incl incline, and we were, uh, we were all, I mean, just a, a amazingly blessed and successful. And the 1962 and onward is this inflection point where we're, we're, we're devolving and, and heading downwards. 
Yeah, and thing, uh, we had a, you my point is we had a, we had a really good recipe up till 1962. One thing that you didn't mention as a part of that is the welfare state, you know, and LBJ's great society. I wanted which, to bring I wanted to bring something up to to him too, um, because he brought up a lot of moral cases, right? Things dealing with morality, Supreme Court, whatever, uh, and he kind of. Um, you brought some stuff up in the 70s. You don't have any thoughts about the Bretton Woods Agreement, the ending of that, and the, you know, the no longer silver gold backing our money, fiat currency, uh, you know, that type of stuff. Or do you? Oh, think- I, I do agree with you there, Rodney, quite a bit. I, I'm, I'm on your side on the, on the gold standard. I, 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 there's some, uh, some case in points where, because we were put on the gold standard, taken off it. Put on it, taken off of it, and there was there's some patterns, um, historical patterns that you, that are just um, black and white, which just shows the uh, how we were doing really good when we were on the gold standard, and how we things went awry when we went on the um, took it off ourselves. Yeah, off. And it so, seems yeah. like it really seems like uh, you know ever since that agreement ended in '71 or '72, I think it was '71. But if you look at like global finances ever since then, they've been a mess, right? But what it ultimately did is, in in my opinion, and maybe this is all that they wanted to do, um, it, well, one, it inflated all the currency, right? Making people have to work more, right? And then the cost of living and all that goes up. Now people's only thing that they can focus on in life is working and making money that that's literally it um there is no uh you know all of the life has been ripped out of everybody because they have to go be a debt slave to some employer who's paying them way underneath and i i believe in capitalism and free uh like free capitalistic societies and whatnot and and the the idea of economic freedom, but if there's always going to be monopolies and there's always going to be a government controlling our money and, and just putting like legitimately putting the nation in these little traps, how much economic freedom do people really have, right? So now people don't even have time to spend time with their kids, uh, you know, like now when they get home from work. They're just so stressed. They want the day to be done. Now you're disrupting the family, right? And I would say even before that, you know, the 1962, 1971, when they ruined the money and they started promoting, uh, you know, mothers going to work and and all this all this other stuff, right? Uh, I think really what I think we did is when we ended slavery. In the 1860s, and we ratified the the 14th Amendment, we just created citizens uh, or federal employees, um, and that's all that citizens are. And our job is to work on behalf of the government, and our kids are supposed to go to school where, where they teach them. Grant brought this up. They're teaching the kids exactly how they want them to, to be in society, but now mom and dad are both stuck working. Because money has gone crazy, you completely ruined the dynamic of the family, and then you add in the fact that over the last 70 years, we've just been completely depleting our morals, 
it's okay to be, you know, it's okay to think that it's okay to believe that people legitimately believe that they were born into the wrong body. And I, I don't know that's weird to me. It's weird. I think it's, I would look at it more of like, well, a, so in terms, in terms of morality, let me, let me just steel man that real quick. Um, they say that it's moral to uh, affirm a child to do that and to profit off of giving them uh, hormones that can sterilize them for life and performing surgery. Yeah. That, uh, is well, that's just one race. of them. That's so just that's, one of the many things. I don't know? think that that's, I don't think that that's morally defensible is like, if you believe it in so much, why, why do you, why are you profiting? Right. Of, yeah. You know, why don't, you know, but why then, don't you volunteer, you know, you know even like, then that's, you know, arguments can be made. The, the creation of Planned Parenthood, the abortions, you know, the, the, just the getting so far away from the commandments. <laughs> yeah. Well, to, to tie it, up. to tie everything, to tie everything together a little bit. And then we, uh, cause I want to move on and ask about like logistics stuff. Um, all that, all that stuff with, uh, money and, and fiat money really, it, it's just created incentives that, um, interfere with social cohesion. So everything yeah. that you were saying about the family, yeah. That's a good way to sum it up. Yeah, you know, it's it's interfering with social cohesion. It's yeah. it's changed the incentives around. It used to be that there were incentives that were essentially imposed by nature, uh, where, you know, the family unit became a thing because it made sense economically. Like yeah. there were incentives to drive it, and then but it oh it also just so happens that it's really socially effective at at corresponding to prosperity, um, and there's lots of science that we could use to justify that but you could also just look at scripture in order to justify it so there's this convergence on something that's probably truth since it yeah. works from a bunch of different perspectives and can be justified a different way and they threw that all away uh why because it's a lot easier to steal everybody's money when yeah. the power to control it's concentrated you know yeah. when these institutions get really really large and the power is concentrated and one person or a very small group of people have control over interest rates, um, all of a sudden it becomes very easy to make money by uh, managing it and, uh, you know, forcefully extracting it from the population versus actually producing something of value. Right. At a price that people can afford in order to profit. So and it's and it's it's not like we have to be alive during these times to recognize that they were just better. Like, I don't know if everybody feels this way, but whenever I watch something from like the 40s or 50s or 60s, I look at the family dynamic as completely different, the home dynamic as completely different, the way that children behaved, the way that parents behaved, behaved, even the way that people talked, you know, it was just very, you could say that we've de-evolved ever since the 60s even, you Good know. Point, uh, Rodney. Yeah. I, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. I think the way we can sum this up is, I mean, at least in my perspective, is that you can't thumb your nose at God and expect to be blessed as a nation. It's just, it's just not going The things that you're talking about, like the, uh, the, the move, removing of the gold standard and such things, I think those are symptoms of, of, God, uh, of, of thumbing your nose at God. The inflation, the mental health crisis, the rioting going on, the military defeats, 
I think all these are symptoms of the blessing being taken taken away. Okay. And that's, just, that, I think we can end, at least I can end my comments there. We can go on to the next Yeah, one. yeah, yeah. Yeah, if you'd like. What? Yeah, so I, that, yeah, that, that, that resonates. I mean, I really do think that there's, like we've talked about this, you know, offline, but there's something too, there, there's a, there's a spiritual conflict of sorts. Like, yes, in the, in, absolutely. You know, in the, in the frame of like a, a vola or, or whatever, whatever you want to use. Like, I'm not traditionally religious. Uh, you know, it's a destruction of morals and values. Traditional beliefs, yeah. But it's yeah, it's something that we all we all see. I think we we all feel that, and there's consequences, right? Yeah. There's consequences when you depart from, you know, striving towards virtue and good. Um, if there weren't consequences, then um, it wouldn't be virtue and good almost. Right. I don't know. Any, anyway, yeah, that we could we could probably talk about that for hours. I, yes, I'm, I'm really curious about your thoughts on uh, sending all this money and materiel to Ukraine, especially the materiel portion, because I I think people get the sense that we just have unlimited stuff that we can send and that would, there aren't these they have an unconstrained vision and that extends to logistics and you yeah, Greg, remember that. remember the old remember the buzzer that you push with the red button yeah right yeah well if i had one here and you know that's the sound i would want i push the button i would i would go i would go because um <laughs> no absolutely not this is not an this is not an unconstrained resource these are finite resources and the uh, you know I was the I was the chief of ammunition um, for the whole army um, for 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 a few years and uh, these included these included conventional uh, missiles um, but uh, we don't have enough we don't have enough capacity uh, to replace all the stuff that we're giving away from the stocks in Israel from the stocks that they're taking out of South Korea. From the stock from the stocks are taken here from the homeland um every every precision munition every every precision or piece of artillery that you send over to to uh, ukraine is one less that you have for a middle eastern conflict is one less that you have for any contingencies in the far east and it's one less for any any defense of the homeland the Right now, we have, as far as I, at least when I was, um, when I was the chief, we have zero um, manufacturing lines for TNT. It's, wow. okay, there may have been just a small one with very little capacity. I'm not sure if that ever came through, but we were sourcing it from Eastern Europe. And the stuff that was coming out of Eastern Europe for TNT, this, this is TNT to go into explosives. Yeah. Um, um, we had quality problems, so that was number one. And number two, it wasn't enough capacity to replace the munitions. And thirdly, um, you got to ask yourself: should we should we be dependent on an Eastern European country, or do we want to be dependent? I think the answer is an obvious no. Oh, they're they're definitely they're definitely about to do something with ammonium nitrate. I, I really believe that I'm big into stocks and finances and whatnot. And I, I kind of like follow pieces of news and 
you had that you had like an article from the Department of Defense about how uh, they're going to increase their ammo production. And that was happening simultaneously of uh, European countries being told that they have to reduce their fertilizer rate by 30 percent. And I'm like putting two and two together. I'm like, man, they're gonna they're doing something with ammonium nitrate. I can't figure I don't know what it is yet. But well, maybe they are, maybe they're not. But but the time frame, and if your viewers get nothing else, then they should they should take this as a takeaway. I mean, on this subject, the time frame to replace precision munitions, whether it be missiles or precision artillery, is not weeks, it's not months. It, it's years. The time frame to replace precision munitions and, and artillery is is numbered in years. So every again, we're not going to. There, there is no quick replacement here, and this right. is not about money either. It's not about how much money you can throw at it. The capacity, the production line, production. Yeah. The, the raw materials are not sufficient to do the replacement in a quick fashion. The, I heard it said that if we were embroiled in a war against China over Taiwan, the U.S. military would run out of its necessary high-tech high munitions within a week. I've heard, I've heard that being said. You know, Taiwan that's how, is going to be such a huge That's player. how dangerous this is. Yeah. Now, Grant, I think I kind of interrupted you a little bit, so please keep going yeah, with, with your thoughts. No, no, that's, that's exactly what, I was, uh, what, what my concern was. I, I think that people get this sense of a, of an infinite world from the digital age where it's like you can copy information um, with like cheap manufactured goods that aren't sophisticated that come in from China. Um, you know, there, there seems to be a never ending supply of that stuff, like right on time delivery. But I don't think people appreciate that this, this high tech stuff that doesn't have a market with billions of consumers to support it, um, where it's a, a military where our active components less than half, uh, you know, and nobody's nobody's allowed soldiers. to know anything about it. How can we even? Yeah, yeah, it? and yeah, and yeah. That that makes it difficult too. Where it's like even talking about this, is like oh, it is, is because it's, it's classified, you know? and there's and there's not a whole lot of information that can be shared with the public. Uh, other than the fact that I can tell you that it's not the time frame is not weeks or months; it's years to make the right. replacements. Right. So, and and if people aren't talking about that, and if people don't know what's going on, then people have no way to know realistically whether to support sending munitions to another country that we're supposed to be helping or not. Yeah, because they don't. People know will people will just be like, "Oh, we're helping Ukraine." You know, but not really understanding the position that we're putting ourselves in potentially as well. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's that's interesting. Um, I got my own thoughts about the whole Ukraine thing, so um, I'm not gonna get into all that. But no, I mean uh, we can we can transition into that because that's that's kind of the the last thing that I wanted to to cover and talk about was just that logistics piece. But I guess we can also talk about it in general. Because I think it's related to all the social stuff. I, I think it's actually very closely related. And um, my my position is, like, we look at what just happened in Afghanistan. 
And nobody has come out publicly in our government, like in an official capacity and said, wow, that withdrawal was really a disaster. We could have done this better. XYZ. A lot of a lot of people did. They just weren't filling the seat of the of the current administration. Yeah, yeah there were there exactly. was the one courageous, I think Marine Marine Lieutenant Colonel Battalion Commander yeah. who said something yes, who I really said. admire. And he called I think he called out uh, the Secretary of Defense and the Army Chief of Staff on it. And, yeah, and then um, they, they haven't said anything. So my, my and then takeaway, he got shit canned. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But my my takeaway is or the Marine. He may have been Marine. Yeah, he was. He yeah, was. He was a yeah. Uh, but he looked like a young guy too. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, for an 05, yeah. I remember that video. Yeah. But if you come out of a situation like that and you're not able to reflect and do an AR and admit anything went wrong, what obviously went wrong. And we're, we're talking about a conflict that we spent 20 years trying to set something up. And it was that's, ostensibly at a certain point we were nation building, right? That's and that, the that all fell apart. So what are they trying to accomplish in the Ukraine right now? And do we have any reason to expect that it's not going to end in exactly the same fashion and just cost a lot of lives, a lot of money? In this case, a lot of material that'll that'll leave us strategically vulnerable for potentially years, um, in order to accomplish maybe worse than nothing. Because from my perspective, um, the Ukraine and Russia would have had to have come to some sort of uh, agreement before now, if not for the West's involvement. Um, we're just going to stronghold around Russia. That's what's going to happen. Yeah, it's like, are, are at they, least in, yeah. at least in my opinion, that's is the, because yeah, is Russia the objective has regime always... change in Russia because it's like that that's going to cost the world a lot. We I mean, we did regime change in Iraq, and maybe we shouldn't have done that. If you, know, you look how, at how like did that work out, if you look at historically, like the the countries that have always started wars or was at the you know in some way involved with it is either Germany or Russia, and it's always, almost always involving Russia, and it's always because Russia is denying entrance into this globalist type thing. That That's the impression that I get. That's the impression that I'm getting out of it is through NATO and through all these other countries, there's this, this idea of forming a globalist type state, and Russia has blocked it for a long time. Um, what do you think, Devin? Well, I, I see that I tend to see um, these things through a biblical they're cycles, biblical um, prophecy. Yeah. Um, so I'm not. I don't think this is the forum to kind of get go down that road. But uh, I'll talk with you sometime if you ever yeah. want to. I'd so love to. I, I kind of see these things in a biblical prophecy through a biblical prophecy lens and, and how the world's um, kind of setting itself up. Um, but I'll also, I can say this thing, at least though, is the, you know, the enemy of the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Mm -hmm. So I do think it's okay and that we should be supporting Ukraine to an extent. Okay. I think it should be less overt 
the more overt that we get with uh, helping out Ukraine, the more it raises the stakes. And the, the freer hand it gives for Russia to say that we're at war with them or that Europe is at war with them. So I think, hey, it, I think these things ought to be done, be done behind the scenes, through the CIA, um, on the low and low. And okay. I, don't think, I don't think we should be giving away our strategic munitions or, 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 or our main battle tanks. Our main yep. battle tanks, Abrams, have class, the fire control system is classified. Now, the first thing I heard, I thought about when I, I heard the Biden administration was, and the Secretary of Defense was, was going to give Ukraine our main battle tank was, okay, well, what if the Ukrainians, just even one Ukrainian, got shut up and the, and the, the, the main battle tank um, partially destroyed and that tank to get overrun and that gives Russia a free hand to drag it back to Russia and backwards engineer it and hack into our fire control system. Um, not good. Yeah, no. You know, so something else that I've heard is that um, you know the bridges in that area of Europe cannot support the weight of an Abrams, so it's not even you know tactically effective. And then also like all the uh, maintenance requirements that it has. Um, I want to where we're not sending the maintenance support or the recovery capability, you know, for, and that's not just the Abrams. It's a lot of the tanks that are being yeah. provided. Well, because I'm, I'm good to... with I'm good with uh, I'm good with blankets and and sundry items, and I'm good with small arms ammunition, training on the low and low. Um, you that's know, what I, I, I wanted to I wanted to talk about that real quick because you you yeah. had you had said that you believe that it should be handled internally right or, or behind the scenes and i kind of i kind of agree um so i watched a video um that i seen on youtube yesterday um and it was of trump talking about munitions and he talked about how how the term nuke was never used uh after world war ii it was just an unwritten rule no world leaders used it and now world leaders are just throwing it around because nobody respects the Biden administration and so on and so forth. But when he was talking about World War Three and and he's like, World War Three is going to be unlike anything that we've ever seen before, worse than World War One, worse than World War Two. And in my mind, I'm like, why are you telling your your people this? You know what I mean? Like, this seems very fear mongering, fear tactic, very, uh, you know, like this probably isn't something that I would do as a president just just to who, try who to are we talking about Rodney who are you talking about right so now? I'm right now specifically I'm talking about Trump a video that I seen of Trump talking mm. about World War three nukes stuff like that yesterday and I told my wife I was like because he made comments of World War three and I feel like that's been getting thrown around a lot nukes has been getting thrown around a lot and I'm like man why are these presidents coming out and saying it in a way that would realistically probably scare the shit out of the people right instead of you know figuring out amongst themselves right working it out and then telling the people hey like 
we're figuring it out. Not saying it in a way that's going to scare people or think that a nuke is going to drop on their city at any time, but in a way that uh, su supplies the people with hope and faith in their government that they are going to sort it out, right? But at the same time, when you said that it should be kept on the low and low, um, I also think people don't know enough one way or another about Ukraine or Russia to support one way or another. And, and right off the bat, as soon as this Ukraine stuff happened, you seen this like brainwashing across America where everybody's icon image was a Ukraine flag and everybody was in support of Ukraine. And you're like, this just unfolded. You guys have no idea what's going on. And I, I feel like when we keep stuff on the low and low, people don't hear about stuff. Um, and that, you know, that could be good because you're not scaring the public, but it could also be bad because the people have no idea what they're even supporting. Um, so I think that there needs to be a dialogue between the governments and the people and, and really like, who are all these people to be making all these decisions anyways? You know what I mean? Like these Well, on the low are... and low thing, I, I think of it like we did with the Soviets in, in Afghanistan. You know, we, in Afghanistan, we only had the CIA there and they were helping on the low and low. You're talking and about in 89, that worked out, right? That worked out pretty good for the U.S. I mean, not what happened afterwards, but as far as kicking the Soviet Union's butt out of, out of Afghanistan, that was a pretty good tactic. Right. So more um, like covert operations going in without necessarily going in and kind of him. But now it's to the point where everybody knows that we're in. So now that we know that we're in, you know, why can't we be more well, yeah, upfront cat, and honest and talk about certain stuff? And, you know, nobody has any idea what's going on and nobody's being honest to the people. And I think that's pretty obvious. Nobody, the, pe the people have no idea. We're all lost. Let me, like, let me. Let me just say real real quick for the record, I don't think the CAA does almost anything positive. Oh yeah, <laughs> I, I don't either. That. I don't and that's, either. That I mean that that's a perfect example of Afghanistan. It's like it seemed like, hey, great, but and then there's long term consequences. Blow no, I got it. I mean, that. I'm saying up up to a point where 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 they where they were up to the point where the Soviets were retreating, we our our tactics were pretty good and it worked. After I'm not talking about the after effect. I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, and I'm not. Yeah, I'm, yeah. Getting him out I'm not of the criticizing. I'm just. I'm not. No, I, I wasn't I'm just, either. I just I'm just saying that's. That I'm just saying. Though. I'm just stating my position. No, yeah. I agree. Um, and um, uh, so I, I want to. I have one other question about munitions. Um, and and I I sent it to you previously. Do you uh, are you familiar with uh, uh, loitering munitions at all? Because I know that was like something that was talked about. Yeah. That was going to. Yes, I am somewhat. Mm -hmm. What, um, what do you it? have any loitering that you could share? Yeah, loitering munitions. It's like they they send them up out of like uh, artillery or whatever, and they loiter above the battlefield and then can detect enemy and come down and destroy. Well, they definitely uh, have a place. They definitely have a place on the battlefield, the modern battlefield. Um, the special ops use um, use them a lot, or at least it's it's in their tactical toolkit. Um, uh, some, you know, these are just basically small drones, like quadcopters, with munitions yep. on them that can. I know what ones you're talking about now. Yeah. Yeah, which can which can loiter above the battlefield for hours at a time, and you can strike at will. Um, they can. They're not being shot and then 
dropped immediately on, on the target. They're, they're loitering over the battlefield to where you can use them effectively at any, at any type of precision point. So Almost yeah, they have, a, they have a place on the modern battlefield. And if we don't do what the enemy is, and so um, you, you, you got to go down this road. Um, it, to, it's almost like a, it's almost like Tesla's Starlink, if people can imagine, like the constellation of satellites or whatever that like fly together. Um, or if anybody ever watched a drone show where they like fly in like fleets, that's what you're talking about, right? But they're way up; they can stay up there for a long time. They got like thermal and whatnot, able to be viewed from somebody else completely, entirely remotely. And then they're just up there, ready to be accessed whenever they need them. That—that's yeah, the one. I mean, just imagine, just imagine a, a quadcopter. You know, these these right. little bitty drones with uh, four helicopter blades on them, really, really small. And just think of think of those being flown above a battlefield for half an hour, hour, right. hour and a half at a time, and until like you see the proper target that you want to hit, and then right. Using sending that sending that drone on a suicide mission with the munitions it has to take out take out the target. Yeah, yeah it reduces the amount of time uh, time it takes to pull it. Not only time, but you don't you don't have to physically be there. Right. You know, with your with your um, no planes getting shot plat- down. Yeah. yeah, gives flexibility with your plane or with your with your um, combat platform on the battlefield. You, you launch this thing from tens of miles away so you don't have to physically be there on the battlefield right mm-hmm. yeah i bet the little fleet signature the little fleet of drone signature is probably so small it probably doesn't even trip radar <laughs> i don't know i don't know i would just i would yeah, imagine i mean you, you need a using large it near, object. yeah using it in global war on terror is going to be different than near peer enemies because then they have like jamming capabilities and all, all yeah. sorts of all sorts of stuff but yeah i was just curious to get your get your thoughts on that thanks for sharing i um we're, we've been running almost two hours now just to close up um you know talking about leadership talking about things that have happened culturally um i know you you kind of look at everything going on in terms of prophecy um are is there any wisdom that you can share gain from your years of uh experience as a leader and how uh how you can apply that leadership today uh, in the current environment we face to uh, potentially help move the country in a more positive direction, um, you know, and uh, kind of, you know, if we are in this spiritual battle that we all kind of agree is going on, how do we, um, you know, provide, how, how would you recommend providing leadership to uh, advance the side of, you know, light? Where does humanity go from here? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Well, I we have to we have to elect um, godly people, right, uh, righteous. righteous righteous people in into these places of into these places of government at the local, state, and the federal um, level, and we need people. Um, who are going to take bold action because um, more of the same is not going to work. Um, right, right. What Einstein said that uh, um, the repeating, of repeating the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result is the definition of idiocy and stupidity. 
Yeah. Correct. We can't expect a different outcome if we keep doing the same thing or going down the same road. You know, I really liked what the, uh, during this uh, Speaker of the House vote, um, where it went to yes. 15 or 16 votes, I was, I was in the cheerleading section um, for the 20 holdouts, or the 20 Republican holdouts. Um, yeah, the populist wing. That's why I'm a yeah, fan of the populist. because they were holding out for something that was principled, and uh, they were stood for what they believed. And and uh, in the end, at, at, the, at the 15th or 16th vote, um, they won a, a, a laundry list of concessions. Um, whether you look at some of them being personal or not, it doesn't matter. Um, because there, even if there were some personal ones and they're like getting placed on the committee themselves, yeah, but that's there were other ones that committees. There were other ones that there were other concessions that benefited the whole house that are a, a huge watershed change compared to the way the house was run the, in the past uh, fifteen or twenty years, and um, it's a lot more. The the rules now are a lot more libertarian. You know where people have a bigger voice um, at, at the ground level. So, however you see that, how I see that as as a recipe about how we can how we can get things done. Um, if we can just elect people who are principled like that, who are who are well, I mean, they, those people, those twenty people were being maligned and attacked and canceled, and not only by the uh, they were being cheered on by the. Uh, the other side of the aisle, but internally on their own side, they were being derided. But um, yeah, it's the establishment. Whether you it's whether you like them personally or not, or the way they the way they went about it, they achieved something pretty remarkable. And um, so it's things like that. And think about the Tea Party movement back in 2010. They they achieved something, even if it was for a moment or for some, a number of years. You know, the Marco Rubios, I think the Ted Cruz's, the Rand Paul's, those people were Tea Party people, you know, and um, they, they, they've made a big, they've made a pretty big difference. And so, you know, the Tea Party movement, the, these, these, these 20 rebels, so-called so -called rebels in the, uh, the speaker vote, um, we just, we need to, we need to do this, these same kind of things, but even on a grander scale. Um, now the solutions to the world, I mean, obviously aren't, I don't believe are, are political. Um, but if we're going to turn the ship back the other way, um, we've got to take bold action. I just think we got to, we got to elect godly leaders at, at the, or you can say, if you're not a Christian, you can just say righteous leader or, or people of good leader. moral character. Yeah. People people. Of, I mean, real moral character. Who are not afraid to be canceled. I mean, I just right. You know, everybody's so scared to speak up nowadays, and it's like people. And so I left the army because of the vaccine, um, and it seemed like like all of the leaders that I thought were once there for me were no longer there for me. Nobody cared about my religious views. Nobody cared how I felt about it, and I like I seen my whole my whole worldview change, you know, I like completely, I'm like, damn, here I am, you know, advocating for all my soldiers and who's, you know, who's advocating for me? Oh, all my bosses 
that are afraid to get in trouble by their boss. So even though they know that something is wrong, they still don't speak up because people, you know, people feel like they don't have a choice or, oh, you know, like, like perfect example, the, the vaccine and at the amount of people that said that they weren't going to take it. And then once the going got tough and jobs were threatened, it, that's threatening somebody's livelihood to take away somebody's job. You know, so is somebody really going to speak up in a, in a manner that's going to get them in trouble to the point where they could potentially get, you know, kicked out? Probably not. It's not really the, the odds of finding somebody that is going to speak up in those circumstances is so slim to none nowadays. It's so hard to find real genuine people to surround yourself with. Um, and I, I feel like it's because everybody, it, it probably goes into what you were saying over the last 70 years, they've just made people extremely immoral. Um, and people only care about themselves at the end of the day. People are only worried about themselves, their own comfortability, their own situation in life. And if they're ever in a position or if they're ever put in a position that's going to make that, that safety a little bit uncomfortable for, uh, for them, they're probably going to go with the flow. Um, and I wish that that wasn't the case. I wish more people would speak up when things were going bad. Um, now, at the same time, like pick your fights. Don't be the guy. Don't be the person that complains, whines, bitches, moans about every, every little thing. But there are absolutely battles in life that people should be speaking up about and nobody is. And you're like, dude, what is wrong with all of you guys? Like legitimately, sometimes I'm like, what is wrong with ev like with everybody that's around me, you know, um, and I don't want to feel like that. Uh, you know, uh, I got slammed the other day with five tickets for accidentally mentioning to the cop that, yeah, the army pushed on with their whole vax thing. And I went on with my whole life. He said, or I went on with my life. He came back to my car and slammed me. And I'm under the impression that everybody, I have this tendency to think that everybody thinks like I do, you know, and maybe the TV is just lying to me. And maybe the stuff that I'm seeing on social media is lying to me and people aren't as jacked up as what I think they are. And they, everybody feels how I feel and everybody's seeing it and everybody's feeling it. And unfortunately, that's just not the case. I don't think... I don't think many people are seeing it and many people are knowing it. And perhaps, you know, if you look at a biblical perspective or if you're a person from a, that looks at it from a biblical perspective, maybe you could say that the people that are able to see it are ones that were given the gift to see it. I don't know. I don't know. But at the same time, I'm like, how is humanity this brainwashed to not stand up for what's right when the time comes? you know, and all because they're scared, you know, but I don't know, personal courage, lack of personal courage, lack of integrity. I don't know what it is, but I feel like everybody's scared. I, I don't know. Well, I don't live in a fear uh, and the, and the, and the mass media and the, uh, the people who are behind these things don't scare me one whatsoever. Yeah. I mean, I'm scared of a world war three because I personally, I know the world doesn't end with a nuclear end. holocaust that's number yeah. one yeah number two I'll, i'm not scared of the global warming thing because i know the world doesn't end that way either so right. 
in my worldview, these neither of these things make me flinch or scare me whatsoever. Right. Yeah. Um, yep. So, um, but but you can resonate with what I'm saying, though. I do. Right. Okay. Okay. Cool. Because, yeah. Um, yeah, I because I think it adds into what you're saying of like finding these people, and that's that's the real issue, you know. Is and then once these people are presented to you and put into these positions um how do you like you know make there's not really a way but it would be nice to know that these people aren't just full of crap and saying whatever they need to say to get into the seat but then once they're in the seat a way for us to hold them accountable and i feel like right now there is really no there's no way to hold anybody accountable yeah that's why you that's why you have to pick the right people i mean I, I think this but we're supposed to goes, be able to oh yeah yeah well it's you know that's that's complicated that's a whole nother, yeah but i mean <laughs> like i i think devin him bringing up the the speaker vote i think that is just the perfect way to encapsulate what's going on like essentially we have 20 folks that care about their constituents you know yeah. above above their own personal interests because the uniparty had like they're a part of a different class you know their mm-hmm. priority is not their constituents and the only way that we're going to get people like that is a, a people of principle because the yeah. incentives are all aligned to make you not care because your constituents liking you well that can be influenced by the media Doing yeah. right by them in spite of that, in spite of huge gaps in spending, where you know FTX took, you know, hundreds of millions, billions of dollars, two hundred billion to, dollars, and it gave it to <laughs> uniparty candidates and yeah. didn't support any populist candidates because they know that's like the gig is up, the 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 lines and the fight are clear between people that care about yeah. the country, national sovereignty, America, politicians that care about their constituents versus politicians that want to be uh, a part of the club. Yeah. Um, so one more thing, uh, one more thing on on strategy besides what I besides what I already said. Yeah. We've got to get rid of lobbying. We've got to Yeah. We've got to some find some sort of uh word or verbiage that would that would pass constitutional muster and outlaw outright outlaw lobbying this is the bane of washington dc and of the congress and it's corrupt it's sickening it's 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 dragging the government down it's burdensome it's evil of the influences that 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 these lobbying companies and people and the money that's being thrown at people to influence votes. So you 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 fix this you fix this thing strategically the, the way I first said it, and the second the two prong approach is you got to get rid of you got to outlaw lobbying and you got to find the right constitutional verbiage to to write the law correctly. And right. I would say to to support that something else you would need to do at the same time so it's like the order is like you have to have these principled folks in order to have the courage to do something like that but in order to make sure that criminals don't just 
circumvent that. The real problem is the amount of power that's concentrated in Washington, D.C., their ability to pick winners and losers at every level of the economy and uh, make people very rich and destroy other people's businesses that aren't willing to get in line. And as long as they have that power, uh, no amount of stuff that's written down on paper is going to prevent people from wielding that power. They don't follow it anyways. Special interests. No, exactly. So that's what I'm saying. Like, by all means, write the law. The law laws, doesn't apply to them. Right. You know, write the laws to make it clear what the intent is. But without distributing that power across state, federal, like state governments, local governments, um, it wouldn't matter. And that transitions me into another question, which is aside from politics and leadership, like a, a big thing that I think is critical is um, just being active in your own community, which is hard yeah. on active duty because you're not in a, we're all kind of deracinated individuals that are thrown together and we try and establish friendships, but you know everybody's in and out every three years. Yeah. So for, for folks that aren't moving around, um, you, establishing roots within your community and being involved, um, I, I think is an important part of all this. Um, but I just want to get your thoughts on that, Ted. Um, could you word the question one more time? And just, 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 yeah, real quick just sum it up. Just, is, is there anything? Oh, getting involved in the local community. Yeah, like using your leader, using your leadership skills, whatever leadership skills you have, in order to get involved in the community and increase the cohesion of the community and and uh, power and capability of uh, the the people around you. Yeah. Well, I think that's a. I think that's a noble ideal, um, and uh, yeah, I, I I agree with that. Uh, I I think uh, the question is 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 where are you gonna uh, put your efforts in? Right, that's um, what I was just gonna say. It's hard yeah, to know, know where. Yeah. It's hard to know where to to start. You know, like you just because um, I was telling Grant the other day, and I was telling uh, my wife as well i was like man i really want to start getting involved in the community or in the politics or something and then it just so happened that i had two things fall into my lap that is gonna allow me to do just that but um uh one involving the school board and then the other one involving the ticket that i got um but it was just like obvious corruption it's like okay i'm gonna say something about this like this this needs to be talked about um so that's the problem is like knowing where to go and then not only that the the people that you're hoping to talk to which is the rest of the community they're not there you know what yeah, i mean well, like I'll, I'll tell you a quick story one thing is is i became a little bit disappointed because when i was in alabama at my last duty state at my last duty station and also here i'm a little bit disappointed in the rnc because i i personally volunteered to be a door knocker or and to, to volunteer in any way that they needed me. And I, I expressed this on their website and I got, I was flabbergasted, absolutely flabbergasted that not getting, I didn't get a single phone call or, or contact. Right. And I volunteered to do, to do that. Now I was in Alabama and in Utah, both of those are pretty red strongholds and maybe they were focused elsewhere, but I didn't get, I didn't get anything. Um, so yeah, um, I mean, I think that might be a symptom of yeah. uh, the 
where I was at geographically, maybe. No, 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 no. Uh, just the the like Ronda McDaniel. I think I think that's true. Dylan or, yeah. or Mike Wendell. Yeah, or, I don't know. So yeah. anyway, I was disappointed there, but you know, instead of getting involved in some sort of organization, I I am involved personally myself. I'll tell you a little about a little bit about what I do personally. Um, so I have what I have what I call a windshield ministry. And what I do is I make my own homemade flyers. Okay. Okay. And they're all just one page. And I don't I don't hand them out to people myself because people always when they, when you hand something to somebody, people are always thinking about what's your motive, what's your you know, why are you doing this and and they're, they're judging you on what kind of clothes you're wearing or you what know, are you trying facial, to sell me what kind yeah. of facial hair you have or whatever you know so when i stop my car in a parking lot i put these on, on windshields underneath the windshield wiper that's a really good idea okay mm -hmm. that way there's no personality behind it they're just reading um or not if they choose not to right the message that you're trying to communicate but right but, but they the got attempt, it they at least got to pick it up off the windshield right and get it out of the and way so it's already in, it's in their hand so yeah. you're already halfway there and the attempt was made by you you know what i mean like yeah. you you did your part to try to spread yes. your message you put your message out there they either received it or they didn't but at yes. the end of the day you exactly. you did and, what makes you feel good yeah and and sometimes uh you know, a couple times, once a month, I'll buy about 20 or 30 of these little small booklets. They're not books, but they're little booklets of, on certain topics. And um, again, I'll put I'll, I'll put those on people's windshields. They're really fast, easy reads. Um, they're, they're information that uh, they, they probably wouldn't get elsewhere. So that's the way I've chosen to impact my local community. And I, I think because I've been doing that for about 15 or 20 years, I think I've probably impacted uh, directly, probably in the tens of thousands of people. And if you think about Good. the second, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth level effect right. yeah. of people either passing that on or learning something and then regurgitating that to somebody else, whether they have it in front of them or not, just from their memory, then you can think about it as throwing a stone out in the water and all the different rings. Right. So, I mean, it, it, yeah. Ripple effect. Yeah. The ripple effect. So it's just, yeah. uh, just by doing that. Um, I, I like that. Yeah, I, I do. So do, so do you, do you also, do you have a ministry like a, an in person? No, this is all my personal thing and I just spend my personal money on. It's just, uh, okay. it's just something I do, you know, I'm, um, with a certain amount of money I have from mom. I got you. I, I just wasn't sure if you had a place where people come congregate. No, or... I don't. This is just okay. something I do um, personally and just spend, set aside a 30 minutes or an hour a month. And, and are these, are these uh, same messages that are booklets or whatever? Do you well, have, gonna, do you have them on a ask. website or anything? Oh. Or? I, I have them in, I have them on PowerPoint and, okay. and what I do is I use, a, I use a pair of scissors and I, I print two per page and I cut them out. I gotcha. And, 
Um, so I, I always have copies of them in my car. And every time I stop the car, as long as it's not raining out or it's bad weather. Right. Um, I, I was just I'll get out of my car and I'll grab, I'll grab two or three of them. And on my way into the grocery store, I'll just pick three or three, three cars randomly and I'll put them on people's windshields. And right. so it's not burdensome. I don't, I don't go out and blanket a whole parking lot or something like I that. I gotcha. Yeah. Every, every little stop I make, I just get out and I hit two or three windshields and, um, I gotcha. No, I, I was just saying if you had somewhere that the, the viewing audience could come read some of the stuff or whatever, but, but that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. No, either way. That's cool. I don't, What's up, no, this is really low. This is really low scale and low budget. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's fine. So I, I just, to, to close this out, um, what, you know, I imagine it's like you, you home make these and you know, I imagine the message changes every once in a while. What's, What's your favorite message to try and uh, communicate? And we can close with that. Yeah. What's the message that you want to send to the world? Yeah. Like when, when you're, yeah. Uh, Cause it's, yeah. If it fits on a, you know, a, a half a PowerPoint slide. and Yeah. Well, so one of my slide. favorite, one of my favorite ones is to get people thinking about um, the abortion issue. So Think of it like this. One of them uses somewhat these exact words, and it's really just a, a thinking experiment. So one of the headlines is part of a woman's body, and it's underlined, right? And then we start to ask three, three essential questions. Because um, this is, this, we always hear that it's part of the woman's body, right? So the first question is, is if a woman never becomes pregnant, is she missing part of her body? <laughs> right? Uh, if you're saying it's part of the body, if she never becomes pregnant, is she missing part of her body? The second question is, is if she's pregnant and she gives birth to the birth canal or cesarean section and the baby's outside of her womb now, is she missing part of her body? That's a different question. So two questions. If you never if you never get pregnant, are you missing part of your body? If you if you've given birth and your baby's no longer in your body, are you missing part of your body? And if the baby's part of your body, is the third one, then why does your body have a certain um, immune response and protection for the placenta and the baby that's in your womb that protects it? And considers because it's a different, it's got different DNA and it's, and your body's not wrecking it, your, your body is not attacking it. Why is there a special mechanism in place if it's part of your body? You know, and I didn't, I don't have it memorized here. I don't, I, I didn't regurgitate that exactly, but that's the essential point. Yeah, no, that makes sense with yeah. RH factor if it's not. You know, so I'm not trying to preach or to tell you to think a certain way. I'm just giving you some, some, I want you to think about this. This is what this is the dribble that you hear by certain people, you know. And so think if that's true, then then how then what about these three questions? Yeah. And how do you how do you match that up with what people are saying? Yeah, I I, I yeah I, I agree completely. It's not people aren't they're not honest with the debate. It's like uh, they're not they're it's not, not honest with it's the not debate. a it's not a part of the body. Really, you're just weighing the mother's right 
to right. terminate I've always a pregnancy heard, versus I've always heard the my rights body, of an my choice. choice. Right, yeah. my body. My well, body, my choice. My but there, body, my there is there is an there is an unborn child, and it's like the right. question is, does that unborn child have rights? And people people can disagree on that, um, but that's what you're talking about. It's to pretend like there's no unborn child. Right. Yeah. That's that's not reasonable. It's whether yeah. or not that unborn child has rights is what yeah. what you're trying to see. With that one, it's just. It doesn't, your words don't pass the common sense test for people right. who are saying that. So I'm just trying to expose the lack of common sense that anybody can yeah. connect to. People trying need to, to, trying to apply, attack the propaganda. Yeah. People need to apply the common sense test to more stuff. I feel like nobody does. Like people don't like analyze and sit there and say, you know, that really just doesn't make any sense. I think a lot of us do. But I think a, a good majority of the population is just like, hmm, yeah, yep, that's what they're telling me. So that's what I'm going to go with. Um, it's just, it just blows my mind. It really blows my mind. Um, and what I was thinking, what I was thinking about doing, Grant, and maybe you, you can help me out, and maybe you can too, Rodney, is I wanted to make these one of these same things to having to do with exposing Google. That Google? was my next. That's my oh, next. I'll, my next project. And it's got to be. It's got to be condensed. It would be like on a probably what six inches by three inches piece of paper, something because because the longer you make it or the thicker you make it, people are not going to have to spend the time to go it. But if it's on a six right. six inch by three inch piece of paper and it's only got a um, certain amount of points, if you just give some things to, for people to think about and give them some things that they didn't really know, um, then they start then they start to you know, it, it's like uh, it's like Neo in the Matrix, right? Take yeah. I can't remember which pill it is, but he's taking the he, he takes the red pill. pill. He yeah, takes the red pill. It's like it's yep. like red and blue. Democrats like three inch piece of paper being the red pill, you know. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And, yeah. And I, I, it is true. Some things it, come to yeah. Some things come to mind with the curated search results, like the way that it auto completes. If you let it start auto completing everything that you say, like, yeah, there there are so many things. things you there are so many said. things that if you could just boil down the, the the most shocking ones and put it on a six inch yeah. six six inch by three inch piece of paper, and make it visually nice to look at, and put yeah. those point put those expose points about Google on there, you're gonna yeah. wake up a lot of people. People yeah, like people like of... stuff that looks nice and pretty too. And what you're saying about the length of it, it, it does, I mean, it matters. Statistically speaking, people are only going to watch 10 minutes of this video. Yeah. I, th I think that's something that we could definitely, uh, definitely work on. Yeah. But I, if we could collaborate on something like that, then even if you two don't want to, well, then you, you can at least help me develop it. And then I, I'll be the one who's putting it on people's windshields because I'm not scared whatsoever. Yeah. The thing, no, I, the thing, I like it. I like it. The thing that's really and you, and you know what I, me and my brother used to watch um we used to watch this, the old Speed Racer cartoon it was and the king came out in the sixties and seventies I think mean, I think it was a Japanese made cartoon yeah, yeah. Was, mm -hmm. there was this character in there called Racer X you mm -hmm. know and Racer yeah. X was was uh, Speed Racer's long lost brother and he always showed up he was always in the background doing things in the background and helping out Speed Racer in the background. And he wore a mask over his face and covered his eyes. And, and uh, I, I've always kind of, that, that's kind of stuck with me ever since I saw that cartoon. It's kind of like a righteous, <laughs> you know, good character. 
And uh, so just somebody who stays in the background doing the right thing and, you know, helping out his brother and helping out in bad, bad situations. And I, I, I don't, I, I'm not, I'm no racer X, but I like, I like, to, I kind of make that as sort of like a, somebody who I'd like to be is who's in the background, the racer X, you know, spirit animal. Yeah. Huh? Spirit animal. So, yeah. Spirit, spirit animal. animal. My, my handle, yeah. Yeah. That, that's my, uh, my, my zoom candle, right? It's racer yeah. X. Yeah. Racer um, X. Love it. You know, handing hand out these uh, the truths and putting on people's windshields. Yeah, you know, I would uh, never seen me. I I would I would love to help you out with that. I've been telling my wife, I was like, man, for the last two years, like if you get on Google and YouTube right now, you're gonna find a whole lot of stuff that has been censored and blocked and deleted for the last two years, and now all of a sudden the same platforms that wouldn't let you talk about stuff now they're talking about the same stuff that you weren't allowed to talk about and it's like there's this narrative switch now where it's really just meant to confuse the hell out of everybody yeah, because there's, there's now, like they're they're around. manipulating the they're manipulating like what we can see when we can it's see horrible. it how it's we can see horrible it horrible and very very it's very very um i'm not scared but it, it I'll use the word scary. But it's I'm, scary. I'm yeah, yeah, it is. It is. It's scary. Because so. you know what? It's it's that night. It's unbelievable the 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 way that the uh, the author of 1984, how he wrote that novel in the late 1940s, and how old how all of that has just absolutely come true. It's just uh, the guy was a was, the guy was. Uh, I don't know if he was a bona fide prophet, but he, what he said definitely came true. George Orwell. A lot of it, a lot of it was already going on in the Soviet Union, so a lot yeah. of it wasn't even speculative. True. So, but um, Devin, thanks so much for taking this yeah. time with us. It was, uh, you know, just great opportunity to to pick your brain a little bit and talk about fifth generation leadership. Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah, I I would like to also say thank you, and um, you know, thirty plus years is nothing to scoff at you know i only did 13 and i had frustrations so i can only imagine you know after uh you know three decades of non-stop cycles and changes and just the the rat race that is the military you know i i tip my hat to you um and uh you know you definitely obviously had a very promising career and have made a, a very big name for yourself um just simple google searches hopping on your linkedin um you know shows that you've had a very impressive career you have a lot of achievements um and you're obviously a person that wants to make a difference so i appreciate the time that you spent coming on with us and we would love to have you back at any time and yeah if, well, thank if you very a, much I'd, I'd like to come back and Maybe we can talk about the COVID shot. Oh man, oh, yeah. I love to. Things to I'd stay there, to. and yeah. Well, we, or if you want to yeah. talk about the the nation of Israel, and and I'd love to do that too. And, so, and, and America's connection to it, and or something like that. I'm, I'm all ears, and I'd love to come back. Let yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, absolutely. well until next time, then. Until yeah. next time. All righty. Right. Sounds you, good, guys. Bye. Cheers. Thanks.